The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am your social worker with the microphone with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake, voiceamericavariety.com. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. How are you? you should, you're lucky to be there, apparently. You were in the news, not you, but uh, Austin, Texas was in the news yesterday. So what is it? You're, you have the, no... It's, the fifth, it's, it's in the last 50 years, the most, it's the biggest drought they've ever had in this area. Crazy. So it's very dry, very hot. We've had over 40 days straight of 100 degree plus temperature, breaking records every day. Crazy. So how do you survive at 100 degree temperature? I'm in Cape Cod right now. Eat your heart out. It is gorgeous. It is 75, 70 degrees, breezes, lobsters. You better be careful because when I move to San Diego, I'm going to be bragging in the middle of the winter. I know I did not survive in a hundred degree weather. I can, you know, but you do. As you know, you. I think you had told me last week. You go outside, you come back in. You can't stay out there, right? You can't. It's really very hot and very, you know, very humid. It's just, yeah, it's not so fun. I have a question for you. Somebody, we were. This was a young person who was visiting because I have people. And you know how that goes when you have a summer house on the water. You get lots of visitors. And I had a young person here who is about to get her MBA, and we were talking about work balance and that, you know, she's a woman, and can you, and this is your area of expertise, so this is why I'm asking you, um, not as an entrepreneur, but if you're going to go into corporate America and want, and you want to have a family, uh, do you think, you really can strike a work balance situation if you don't give if you're not at work. In oh, this business. is a really hot topic for me today. Okay, well then you're the person to ask. Okay, so t- I, I'm not going to tell you what I said to her, but I mean, if you're going to go and you're going to work for one of these big companies and you want to get ahead and you want to end up being one of the, the top executives, do you think you can take time off and and uh, take? Well, I do think it's all about what it looks like. So um, before we get into the topic, let me ask a couple of questions. Do you get emails these days on Saturdays and Sundays? Not, no. I mean, no, I don't get I don't the, either. I don't uh, hardly any, spam. No. You know, I get nothing of, uh, nothing of from a real human. Yeah, the answer is no. And between 9 and 5, Monday through Friday, is that when you get the most of your emails? Most of your emails, not the most. The most. Yeah. 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 So after 5 o'clock on typical work day, it tends to, you could actually probably set your clock by the, how your email sort of stops coming, this exchange stops happening after 5 o'clock. Yeah, except, okay, you get stuff from, I'm on East Coast, I'll get stuff from West Coast a little bit later. Exactly. You know, so I'll start like set, so, six or And seven. those are personal and business, I would assume. Yes. Yes. 
So I believe corporate America is less productive than ever before because of this thing called the Internet. I just am watching behavior, human behavior. And I also noticed that if you work with mothers, young mothers of young children, watch their behavior between 8 and 10 o'clock at night, they're back online doing work because the kid's gone to bed so they can get back to work for a couple hours. So I think that you go to these young people that are thinking about going to corporate America, and I think that their perception of productivity is very skewed because all of a sudden being in front of the computer is, quote, work. And it's not. I think we really have to look at productivity, and I think corporate America is really going to start looking hard and fast at what is productivity for our people because I do think that in corporate America today we're not being productive like we once were. So what are you saying that you can – but in terms of having to be at work or you I think I don't that we the... look the part and we act like we're busy busy working on all these projects but I don't think we're actually being productive for corporate America like we used to Are you saying that you don't have to then be actually in the office or no, in I your think cubicle that, well, that's or a great in... question I think that corporate America might I think you're going to start to see more and more independent contractors working by project not by the hour but still, you can't be isolated. You can't be sitting in your office at home, I don't think, and not have the contact. There has to be some personal contact. There has to, doesn't there? There has to be some, to some kind extent, of a way in which there you is. connect there's certain get people up in the world that don't need that. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of people doing more and more contract work for companies. And because of the recession, we're seeing a lot of layoffs, people being let go, but they're not, not doing those projects anymore. Someone's still doing them, but they're hiring them by project. So I do think our world is, is, there's a shift going on. I do think there's a shift going on, and I do see what you're saying. So to go back to your point, what, you know, do they have to work 24-7? Well, they have to at least look the part. Yeah, I think that they do have to look the part. I mean, I look at corporate America these days, and I think that people are working, quote, harder than ever. But are they really working harder than ever? That's the question. Well, and, of course, doesn't it depend what your goal is, too, how far up you want to get, where yep. do you want to be? Do you want to be at the top echelon in, in some of the big companies, or do you just want to work for the company? Uh, so it depends on what your, your what goal your is. What are, it? for sure. Yeah. But so if you want to do that, I think you do have to be there, maybe even if you're not there at, at the company and even if you are at home, but you have to be – you have to, I think – if you're going to be distracted with your kids and your, you know, play days and, and the stuff that you have to do with children, you're not going to be in the same position as somebody, and it tends to be men, who are out there and don't have to be concerned with that stuff, and they, they are there, and that's why they wind up in, you know, the head of these companies or the executive vice presidents, because there aren't very many so are still you saying, women Catherine, doing that. If you were a woman with a, and a mom, that you're less apt to climb the corporate ladder. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying that you don't have, you, unless you can do it, unless you can be working at it and working productively. I'm not, you know, you're talking, yeah, there are a lot of people who do a lot of stuff, but they're not productive. Exactly. But if, but if you are productive and you're working at it 24-7, because I think that men have the opportunity to do that, and they do it, and that's why they get I agree with you, actually. Top. I do agree with you that men, that just because of the nature of their roles in both places, um, they tend to be able to be at least look more focused because they don't have to. T- they tend to not take on a childcare role. Yeah, and that, that so that if you are going to be in that position or you want to be in that position, 
to climb that corporate ladder, however you do it. And I, I agree with you. I think the way in which you do it is shifting. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the way in which you accomplish it, but you still have to be focused and doing it 24-7, or I'm exaggerating. Well, I hear what you're saying, and that's why I believe that we're seeing, there's a couple other shifts going on at the same time. I do think that if you're seeing, that a lot of the layoffs going on are male, middle management, so women are keeping their jobs, and a lot of men are being laid off. So I think that we're seeing that shift at the same time, which is interesting. Sort of opens up the opportunity for women in a interesting fashion. I don't think we ever expected that to happen, but I think that men are being laid off more than women these days. I think that's just a general statement. The other thing that I think is happening is women are deciding to start business. Women business owners is growing astronomically right now, unprecedented numbers. So interesting. that is interesting to me, too, because I do believe that women are going to get and grow businesses in a way that's um, going to allow them to be a little more flexible, to serve corporate America by project and to be the mom. I agree with you, and I think that's a great venue for women to get it, to, to be able to be successful in business. You know, I the agree whole, with that. Entre- yeah, the whole entrepreneur thing. I, I totally agree with you because you do have more flexibility. It's your own business. You can do it. You you can structure it the way you want to. Exactly. And that, but that was the discussion with this young woman. That if that's her intention, that's one thing. But if your intention is to go to one of these big corporations and compete, I don't think that you can you can have the same kind of work balance situation because it doesn't allow for that? Or well, it does not... depend on her role and how much money she's making. I mean, because she afford to have full-time. I mean, I know a family here in Austin, they have full-time child care that is 60 hours a week they pay somebody. I believe they live with them, but they only work, they work 60 hours a week. And that's um, that allows both parents to work substantial businesses and, and make substantial incomes or at least play the, the part in a big corporate America. And she has, you know, I, so I think that the person you're referring to could potentially do whatever she wants depending on her role. Well, my advice was just have one child if you're going to do that. Don't think that you can have three or four children. You can, but I think that puts you in a different position. I, well, just I have a different, two. I won't necessarily, once you have one and you're paying for child care, what's the difference if you have two? <laughs> oh, big difference, huge difference, because once you have one, and once that one goes to school full-time, you're in a very different position than if you have a second one who's still a toddler or a third one who's still an infant. But you're still paying for child care of some sort, whether it's a nanny or a, you know, au pair or, you know, daycare. You still are paying for them, but the child is, but your child requires different kinds of things, and your energy level is different because you're focusing on one who's growing up, you know, who's like... Well, I take it from someone that has one. I don't want to add two to the mix, so yeah. I totally get it. <laughs> Well, but that's at the same what I'm time, saying. I and think I just about that. You know, having a nanny for one is going to cost me the same as having a nanny for two. Yeah, but you're just talking about money, and I'm talking about more than that. You're talking I'm about talking energy. About energy, time. You know, if you end up having two or three children, you end up having to go to two or three doctor's appointments, or there's I, I, three yeah, people getting sick, or there's schedule, three people. And when you're up at night, I, yeah, I totally understand that. So it's it's very different, and you know. Yes, you're right about... But I do think that women can do both, but I think that we have to... We've talked about this. We have to design the community in which to do it. You have to design... And it has to be your own community, and you can't have a... See, I don't believe that you can have it all. I want to just... I keep trying to... I just read two autobiographies. One was... I don't know if you remember her, Diane Carroll. Do you know who she is? She's in her 70s, and she's she was one of the first black, uh, successful film... Uh, actresses, television, 
she was engaged to uh, David Frost. Uh huh. Yeah, and she and and she. This is her book, and it's her story about how she be, she grew up in Harlem, and she became one of the most successful black actresses of our time. And now she's like in her late seventies. But her point: she had one daughter, and uh, and it was really difficult. I mean, in terms of for her to really pursue her career and give it all, she really in her book she describes it. And I had to neglect her daughter. Her daughter always felt that her career came first. And Barbara Walters as well. I was reading her autobiography. It's a bestseller. It's yeah. I don't know if you've read it. I've but not read it, but you said it was wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. It's the same thing. She had one child. She had a daughter. But if she had to do it, you know, she wanted to. She was competing with men. She was the first woman journalist, news broadcaster who was competing with men. And if she had to be in in Afghanistan, I mean, it wasn't Afghanistan at the time, but if she had to be in in the Middle East, or she was going to interview Anwar Sadat, or she was, she had to go. And it didn't matter what was happening with her daughter. And she had two of the best nannies there were. And she exactly. Had- you have to have this. You have to have that support network, whoever it is, whether it's nannies, whether it's you know, I, Barack Obama and Michelle are great examples. They have they're living her mother, and I also think there's a godmother I just heard recently that's also there part time. Yeah, but he's the president; she's not. I get it. I totally get it. But she's also out and about, I believe, doing she, a lot of speaking and traveling. And she is, but she's still not the president. It's not her of the role. I really hear you. Yeah. And and. and just getting back to Barbara Walters in her book, she says, you know, she had to, I mean, she became estranged from her daughter for a while, and her daughter had all kinds of problems because she felt that her mother never gave her never, the attention uh, yeah, that she which, needed. Well, she I didn't feel that way about mistake. her father. I think, I do think that's a mistake. If we're going to be choose to be parents, we need to figure out how to design life so that you're serving that particular aspect of your life. We have to take a break right now, 30 seconds. <laughs> You've been listening to Lauren Deller-Blake and Catherine Zox on Voice America Variety. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and we will be back in a minute. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty's has just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. 
Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Thanks so much for joining us this morning on Voice America Variety, voiceamericavariety.com with my co-host Lauren Beller-Blake and Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. And if you're just joining us, well, Lauren and I, before the break, we're talking about can you have it all work balance? Can you be in corporate America? Be really successful. Get to the top of the ladder if you're a woman. You don't have the same chance, I don't think, as a man does because if you're responsibilities, mothering responsibilities. So, Lauren, I don't know if we ended this conversation or what, but it kind of goes into this one. What do you think about this Nadia Suleiman who's going to have this show with her children? This uh, I think it's crazy, and I think that someone's just setting her up from a financial standpoint, and they think they can make I don't. I think it's awful. I think it's awful, too, but people are going to watch it. I mean, my mother called me, and she's, she's telling me about it, and I said, so, Ma, are you going to watch the show? Look, look, first, let's, it, what she's going to have is a reality show with her, what, how many kids? Eight, nine, eight. Well, eight? eight plus four, right? Six. Eight, eight plus, plus six. six. Oh my God! I need a calculator. I'm always yeah, you okay. do. Eight plus six, and oh, this fourteen thing. kids. Mm-hmm. No, there will be people watching it, but I don't know. I just think it's it's almost inhumane. It's on Friday. Inhumane. I'm sorry. I don't know what this Friday. This is yeah on Friday. I mean, this is coming from the net. She signed with iWorks, makers of Breaking. Bonaduce and The Biggest Loser, well, The Biggest Loser is a big show, right, among other winners to do a reality show. Papers filed with Los Angeles Superior Court say all 14, it's 14, of her children will make $250 a piece per day. That's what I heard. Shooting starts September 1. The kids, all eight or younger, will make about $250,000 total over three years. I think it's craziness, but... What else was she going to do? How is she going to support these kids? <laughs> but are there child labor laws for this? Are you there allowed is somebody to do that? that has issues. There, he's filing a suit against her for it because of the child labor issues. Who is? Some guy that is all about protecting children in this particular situation. I don't remember who he was. I saw it really briefly on um, the news last night. Well, I think that's a good thing. I think, I think this, don't you? I, I just... Well, the thing is, is, I guess the bigger issue that I have with it is why is that worthy of us watching? And what about it do we want to duplicate? Well, why do we watch it? Exactly. Are we watching it because we want to, you say, why do we, why do we watch? Well, somebody ought to call us, but uh, 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. What do you think about this Nadja Suleiman taking her kids and and putting him on television on reality TV. I want to know who's excited about watching it and why. And not to judge it or to judge the person, but I want to understand it. 
Are you going to watch it? No, I won't. You know, I hardly turn the TV on. I do watch the news. I turn the TV on to watch the news. Um, and I turn the TV on to watch Oprah, but not, I record it, and I haven't, it's been, you know, it's been off since May, I think, so I haven't seen, I really don't turn TV on for much else. I, I like to see what's going on in the world. My daughter will say to me, Mommy, are you finished seeing what's going on in the world so I can watch Elmo? <laughs> I love television. I am a television watcher, a late-night television watcher. I watch all the repeats of all the sitcoms because I find them, like, sort of like therapeutic. Uh-huh. Now, in the summertime, I don't watch television. I just go online and look at the news, and, and I, I don't want to get involved in it. But there is something about this. I will watch it. I won't watch it every week. I never watch this stuff every week anyway. Even I watch The Biggest Losers sometimes. I've but, never seen uh, that show. I know what telling. it is, but I haven't seen it. You what? I've never seen The Biggest Loser. I mean, I know what it is. It's about losing weight. I get it. But I thought, you know, I watched two minutes of it enough to get what it is. But I see, I don't want to give it energy if I don't feel like it's good for my soul. But why do people these? That's what I want to know. Why do you watch it? Because they account for now. I think, and I'm. I was reading in the New York Times on the Sunday New York Times yeah, on Sunday that these reality TV shows now account for. Uh, I think a name. Like thirty percent of, I mean, a huge percentage of the television watching time that people are so drawn to these reality TV shows. Why? Well, first of all, if you look at the percentage of reality TV shows on TV now, it's like a huge percentage of what's on TV. So how could we not watch it? You know what I mean? It's there. We as a population, but. I think that we have gotten away from the old-fashioned, as you said, the great old sitcoms. They don't—they're not even on anymore. Reality has replaced that. Is that because we can identify? We feel like these are people who are like like we are, that we are identifying with them, or do we see people who are in such dire straits that makes us feel better? I feel better. That's my theory. No, I wasn't going to say that. That's my theory, is it makes us feel better about what's going on in our world. Yeah, well, I'm not as fat as that person on The Biggest Loser, or I don't have... 14 children, so watching her struggle, and it's it's sort of like, uh, yeah, it makes me, schadenfreude, that's the term they use. Uh, it's a German word that means, you know, it, looking, it gives you the opportunity emotionally to feel better about yourself when you see somebody worse off than you are. And I think that's a good part of it. So I do you, think it's a good part of it. And if you look at the reality shows that are more geared to helping and educating, they don't tend to last. Well, they're not long-term. Well, we don't want to be challenged. Maybe we don't want to be challenged anymore. You know, we come home, you turn on the television set, and you want to watch the trashy stuff because you don't want to be challenged, and you don't want to see people who are, maybe you don't want to see people who are excessive successful or doing well makes you feel bad if you feel Although like I you're don't, not I don't doing agree with that. I do think well. that women in particular want to be inspired. I think we love a good true story. And I, I think that there's, I mean, that's Chicken Soup for the Soul and those books that have been around forever. They're bestsellers. And I think we want a good real story, a positive real story. So I do think that we're open to inspiration, maybe just in small amounts. I don't know. I, I think we do, and I think that inspirational stories are always great. I mean, how people have overcome, uh, you know, whether they've been really sick or they've had uh, mental illness or whatever there's, whatever they've had to overcome. Yeah, I agree with you. And it, you want to hear somebody's story, and then it gives you hope that you can exactly. Deal and I with do think we stuff. look for that. I do think we look for that. Yeah, but that's different than this, that is this, different than reality show. Yeah, this reality show. This this uh, well, this Nadja Suleiman to me is a narcissist, and. Um, 
and she has accomplished exactly what she set out to do. I think she's very focused. And um, you think this is what she wanted—a reality show for herself? Probably. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Probably. She had maybe it wasn't focused. Maybe she didn't at the time. She wasn't exactly sure, but. When you have six children and then you decide to have eight, there has to be, it didn't, doesn't, and it didn't, it doesn't just happen. It didn't just happen. No. Um, So it was, I I don't know that necessarily. Especially in her case, it didn't just happen. I mean, she was, she wanted it. Yep. Uh, what is that? Well, here's something better. Let's okay. This uh, this was some, this you know I always have to recommend a book, and this this is also something I know you're interested in. The title of the book, maybe you've read it, "Paving It Forward." Paving It Forward. Elizabeth Fate. She's got the right name, but it's pronounced F A Y T. And you can go to elizabethfate.com. Paving It Forward. She talks about the fact that. Um, well, she just, do you know what paving it forward means? Well, I'm imagining it's sort of like paying it forward. Close. Yes. And are you saying paving, P-A-V? I'm saying paving or? with a V. V is a picture. Paving, paving, like paving the ground, paving the paving, street. Paving, yeah, paving it forward. So what does it mean to you? Yeah, what does it mean? It's very similar to the law of attraction. Oh. It's paving it forward. We go down certain roads because we are the ones who decide and determine what road we're going down. Even when we complain about the fact that this happened to us, I, I lost my job, I lost my house, I, Interesting. I'm fat, I, <laughs> you know, it's not my fault. But she maintains that we are the ones who pave forward. We, we create that road that we go down. And if we're on the road and we don't like it, we can get off on the off I agree with her 100%. Yeah, if we choose to do that. She says, and this is really simple, this is, you wake up in the morning and instead of saying, oh, I have so much to do and I have so little time to do it in, that, okay, if you say that, that's what's going to happen to you during that. You're going to be racing around, figuring I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do, and you create that path for that day. But if you wake up in the morning and say, I have all the time in the world, I have all the time in the world today to accomplish what I need to accomplish, then that's the road that you're paving for yourself. And it's really interesting that you're talking about this. I think it's really... Um... It's a challenging thing. I'm not trying to set us up for negative success here, negativity here. But what you're talking about is changing the way we think on a really basic level. So we have to be real conscious of how do we normally wake up and what's our normal um, thought about each day. So if you're wanting to change it, you're, you're really think, your goal here is to change your basic thought process about how we see each day. When you woke up this morning, Lauren, what did you think? You woke up. Can you remember what you thought? Well, I sort of, um, I don't have a, I sort of wake up slowly. I do it like my own little slow way. I'm not like a one that pops out of bed and ready to go. I'm a sort of a slow, I'm slow to step into the day. And not that it's negative. It's just I slowly wake up. I do turn on the Today Show. I forgot to say that. I do turn, I watch the Today Show. And through the first 10 minutes, I like to see that. And then usually by that point, I'm like, okay, it's time to do the day. And I sort of have a mellow, a mellow approach to the day. It's not like rah, rah, here we go, but it's also not negative. I look forward to the day. So, but when you wake up, you're talking about your pace, and everybody does have a different pace. I tend to be probably, I don't jump out of bed and race, or, you know, I'm not that either. But I, I'll sometimes, I'll actually wake up and start reading. I'll read a book. Oh, I go to bed like that normally. Yeah, but... 
waking up, the real thing is, do you wake up and you say, this is my day, and you're paving the road for the day, like, what, in a very positive way? Like, not, I always, I yeah, I always have an attitude that it's another fresh day, what will I, what will I make it today? And it, I do have the sense of what will I make it today, but I have a sense of my day because I know my schedule and what I've planned. But I don't ever anticipate anything negative. Um, I also anticipate always the best in my, you know, what's possible. So you are paving the road pre-paving. I do, but I think that there is a place that I could pre-pave it for even more. Well, then you have to get Elizabeth Fates' book. It sounds like it. Yes, Elizabeth, she's, uh, she's Canadian. She's from Canada, and she worked for 10 years. She traveled, and she worked with a billionaire. Uh, his name is Ron Joyce. I hadn't heard of him, but have you? No. Apparently in Canada, he has... A coffee, a coffee shop, like Starbucks. Uh-huh. It's called, I think it's called. I forgot what it's called. It begins with an H, but it's the, it's it's the equivalent of of Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, and it's that kind of a success story. And she worked with him, and that's where she got her experience in terms of the, of learning how to prepave because this guy had that kind of an attitude. And then also went to India and worked and, and did the whole, you know. Um, 30 seconds. We're going to take a short break. I'll finish my sentence when we come back. Lauren Deller Blake, Catherine Zox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Don't go away. Ask the experts. Call toll free right now. 1 866 472 5787. And ask our all star team to answer your questions. That's 1 866 472 5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. And The Catherine Zox Show, I don't think I've mentioned that once this morning, with Lauren Deller-Blake, my co-host, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Lauren, before we took the break, we were talking about prepaving, like setting up the day for yourself. And I love setting... this concept. I'm going to really consciously think about this. Yeah, and setting up the path. And I was trying to think of what Elizabeth Fate. I mentioned this book, Prepaving It Forward, Elizabeth Fate, F-A-Y-T, and you can go to her website, elizabethfate.com. Um, and she talks about you know setting up the day for yourself in a positive way so that you end up achieving what you wanted, not like, all this negativity. And what she did, she worked for a billionaire for 10 years, and I said she also was in India and studied. What she, she studied with the Masters of India and in these ashrams, which helped her to understand the principles of the law of attraction, which is kind of what this is all based on. Uh, so she did both and uh, combined the two. So what did she say about how the billionaire woke up and paved the way each day? Well, it was more about her experience with him Yes, everything was positive. It was kind of, and, and maybe you're not, you're not going to agree with this, but she said she woke up in the morning. He would wake up in the morning. I don't know if he woke up in the morning. But Did they just, sleep in the same room? No, <laughs> I didn't ask her. <laughs> but uh, one of them, anyway, she woke up in the morning, whether it was with him or not, I don't know. But she said, and she would say, I am going to make lots of money. Oh, and interesting. Because what I do is valued. What I do is valued and what I do is valuable. So I'm going to make lots of money. And that, and she did. And, and that was her, I mean, I don't know if that's politically correct to say that. I but think it is. I think yeah. it's okay to say that. Yeah. And to have that intention. Really what you're talking about is setting an intention for every day, which I love. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's, I mean, we're using different words, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. You, there's a great website that I blog on. It's called intent.com. Intent? Intent. I-N-T-E-N-T dot com. And it's designed, it was started by Deepak Chopra's daughter. And everybody sets their intentions all day long. They set intentions around what they're going to do for the day. It's really a cool site, intent.com. Intent.com. Okay, both of these websites, I think, if, you know, for listeners, are really helpful, especially now because people tend to be really negative. Uh, there, I had a friend call me, and one of her kids was looking for a job, and her thing was, She's never going to find a job because they're letting people go, and she just graduated from college, and there aren't any jobs out there, and on and on. And so there's all this negativity. So if you wait, if that's going to be your intent, then you aren't going to find a job. Exactly. That's exactly right. You know, there are jobs. Now, maybe there aren't as many jobs. Maybe instead of 100 jobs, there are 50 jobs. But if you have the attitude that I'm going to get a job, you're going to get one of those 50 jobs. I, as, as long as the intention is critical, you have to have an intention that is positive and serves you versus, you know, the glass half empty. And if that's how you walk around, that's totally. I love the topic. And my father, I'm talking about many, many years ago, very successful attorney, had that attitude. Now he could, wouldn't define it in the terms that we do today because it, <clears throat> it was a different era and a different vernacular, but he used to say that. I would say, well, I can't get into that school or I won't. He'd say, well, are there, the school, there are people who are getting into that school or there are people who are getting that job. 
Why can't you Why be one you? of them? That's if right. it's there, you can forget about And the other thing that he would say, which is always helpful to me, was forget about the other people and what they're doing. You know, as a kid, it's like, well, so in, you know, my girlfriend has, she's smarter than I am or she's, you know, has more money or she, forget about that. That's, that's not your pro, that's not your issue. Just focus on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, but it was always with this positive intention. If it, and if, not comparing to others, but compare. If, I love the idea of comparing to others when if they can do it, why not me? Uh, if they can do it, why not me? See, I'm better off with, I don't, can't worry about what they can or cannot do. If I start focusing on other people, I get, I get kind of hung up on their stuff. Like she might get the job because she's had, you know, three other jobs that are, has she's had more experience. I tend to get into that kind of a mentality. So it's better for me to just think, this is what I have, this is what I can do, this is what I have to offer, and I can't think about anybody else. See, that's not helpful to me. Well, I do think that it, there's a place to compare. I'm, what I'm saying is when we compare to other people, we tend to make us feel bad. So I love the idea of comparing to others to make us feel good. Give me an example, though. When does it if work for you? If they can do it, why can't I? Like, there's no reason that if someone else is, uh, Michael Phelps, if Michael Phelps can swim like that, why can't I? So I'm going to try to swim, and not that I, that's not me really. But, <laughs> and you're never going to be a Michael Phelps. <laughs> Trust me, let me tell you, I want to only pay using that as you. an example. You what? I'm using it as an example. I don't want to swim like Michael Phelps. And you won't. But that's just an example. <laughs> that's not a good example. You know why? Because someone beat him yesterday. No, because... That's something that you know you're not going to achieve, so it's not even threatening. But getting I mean, into a, you know, getting into a great college, uh, lots of people get into a great college. So why can't I? Of course, you have to do the work to make the grades, and you know, play, do, you know, do your, do your part to get yourself so that you're at a level that you can compete at that level. All right, that's. A, but is that something that? Give me, you know, you mentioned Michael Phelps and swimming for you, but that's so far. That's Look at, so, like your father getting into a college. That's comparing. If other people are getting into college, then you can too. Yeah, see, I still don't like to, but he wouldn't say that. He would say, forget about the other people. The college, the, the, the college is there. They're accepting. He see, They're it wouldn't be about people. the other people. It would be the fact that the saying. college yeah. is there and the college is accepting people. The business is there and they are still hiring People, I mean, the business is not, if it exists, then take a look at yourself and exactly. figure out how you're going to get that job. And what do you need to do to get that job or get yeah. that position or get, yeah. yeah, what do you, I do hear what you're saying, to not compare yourself to others, yet at the same time, there's a place I think that that competition is healthy. Yeah, competition is healthy, but I think, is that what we're talking about? See, for me, that's not what we're talking about. It's like getting into, like, I'm as attractive as she is. I'm as smart well, as she is. A, Maybe not I'm not as, how about this one? I may not be as bright. I may not have had as much experience. But there are other things that I have that are going to get me that job. So if I get hooked into thinking, well, if she can do it because she has, you know, she's she's had experience and she's smart, then I'm, I don't have to be like, she is in order for me to get that job. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I totally agree with that, actually. I agree with that. In other words, to compare yourself to the place that, that's not healthy. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a healthy thing to do. I do think that we need to um, 
look at what we are capable of so that we can stretch our own comfort levels and be the best person possible for ourselves, not compared to other people. Yeah, how can I fit what I have into that job? And I keep talking about jobs because it keeps coming up with family, friends, people I'm interviewing on the radio. It's like a big thing now because of this economic crisis. I mean, It is a big thing. Employment is 10%, and you just have – I hear so many people with so much negativity and so afraid to go out there because they don't – you know, why should I go out there? Because my friend, just what we're talking about, she, you know, she's had more experience, and if she can't get the job, then I'm not going to be able to get it either. You don't know. You have to just really focus on yourself. What are my assets? And I do think that the greatest asset people have right now is a really positive attitude and a great work ethic. And putting those things together, those two things together, will separate people heads and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. You have to be able to, when you know, I mean, I think when you're looking for a job, you have to be, first of all, you have to, when you have a job, and I think a lot of people, I, I, I just spoke to someone, you know, who's concerned that it was a low-level job and they weren't sure they wanted to do all the stuff that you had to do. Like, you know, you got to do that stuff. you got to, you know... You accept a job, you do whatever they want you to do, and you just do it, and you have to have, as you say, a really positive attitude, um, and then that will get you to other places. It, it, those two things together, in my mind, it's hard to find people with both. Yeah, it is. And oh. and the skill set, and so add the third piece, the typical skill sets needed for a particular job, then you've just found your, your best person. Exactly. And our, you know, I just want to, because I'm going to do a, we uh, an intro now because I mentioned. Did I mention earlier who our guest is going to be on the show today? Briefly, I don't even did think briefly. I did. I yeah, but do it again. See how well I can't even remember what I said <laughs> at the beginning of the show. <laughs> oh God, you're no funny. one's going to hire me. But uh, okay, Jill Bolt Taylor, and I think many of the listeners should know who she is because she has published a book which is called My Stroke of Insight. And Jill Bolt-Taylor, Dr. Taylor, um, she, she is a neuroanatomist, um, a Ph.D., um, and she actually worked at the Harvard Brain Tissue Resource Center. She's an extremely intelligent person. And she wrote a book called My Stroke of Insight because she had a stroke when she was 38, 37 years old. So she was a young woman. She was a neuroscientist. She was working at Harvard. And ironically, she was working, uh, she was doing work in neuroanatomy. So, I mean, here she is. Amazing. Yeah, she's a brain scientist, and then she has a stroke herself. So this book is all about starting from the first day when she had the stroke, and it takes you all through the process of recovery and um, it's a, it's, it's a, I read it like in one day because it was one of those books you stay up all night and, and read. You can't help it. Uh, and Jill is actually here right now. She's one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, not surprising. And uh, she was featured on Oprah's Soul Series on XM Satellite Radio. Fabulous book, fascinating person. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Jill. And... Uh, I don't hear Jill. Jill? Dr. Taylor? Can't hear her. Oh, there she is. Hello. Hi. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Well, I just, uh, yeah, I just uh, introduced your book. I read the book. I mean, it was one of those books, I have to say. I was up all night till I finished it. Um, 
and it's an amazing story that you, a neuroscientist, age 38, 37, you wake up one morning and you have a stroke. So just start off and tell us the scenario of what happened, and I have a lot of questions to ask you after that. Well, I, I first became interested in the brain because I have a brother who's been diagnosed with a brain disorder, schizophrenia. And so I wondered, how does our brain create our perception of reality? So it was quite ironic that that was my area of expertise. And then at the age of 37, I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School when I woke up and had a blood vessel explode in the left half of my brain. And over the course of four hours, I watched my own mind deteriorate to the point that I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. So I described myself at that point as an infant in a woman's body. But now when you were having the stroke, because, I mean, obviously we want you to talk to us so that you can, I mean, you want to help other people who have either had a stroke or are recuperating from a stroke. So I want to, you know, as a social worker, I'm really interested, like in the beginning when you sensed you were having a stroke, I mean, you were able to diagnose yourself and then to figure out how you were going to get help for yourself with which maybe most ordinary people wouldn't be able to do. Right. Well, I, I noticed immediately that when I first woke up, I had this, uh, this pulsating pain behind my left eye. And it was that, that caustic pain that you get when you bite into ice cream. And, and it would pulse, and it would release me, and then it would pulse again. And um, I did not realize that it's quite common for strokes to happen first thing in the morning. When you, all night you've been horizontal, your blood pressure is low, and then as soon as you sit up in the morning, your blood pressure goes up, and it's a great time to have some kind of a neurological problem. I didn't know that. Um, but it, that is so, so I would keep my eyes open for strange things happening first thing in the morning. Uh, but then I got up, and I was hypersensitive to light, and I, I had a shift in my perception of awareness where everything felt very slowed inside of my body. And so, but I, it wasn't until my right arm went totally paralyzed that I realized, oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. Up to that point, I knew I was having some kind of neurological episode. I couldn't tell if maybe it was going to be a migraine headache or what it was going to be, but I didn't know that it was a stroke until paralysis. But then, I think that one of the amazing things that you did, I mean, when you tried to dial for help or you called work and you were trying to, uh, on the phone, you were trying to, to reach uh, the person at work to, to, to help you, that you realized, and I, I, this, this stands out in my mind from reading the book, that like when you, if you pushed a number on the phone, uh, you wouldn't remember what you had done. So how did you work, you know, so you knew what was like what you had to do in order to, to make up for the part of the brain that wasn't functioning in terms of just dialing to get help. Explain that to us. Well, the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere function in very different ways. And the left hemisphere understands language. It understands linearity of thought. So I can have a plan. I can set a plan in my mind that says I'm going to dial a number. But there's linearity and a sequencing to that activity. And 
on the morning of the stroke, because the hemorrhage happened in my left hemisphere, I would drift out of the left hemisphere consciousness into my right hemisphere consciousness, and the right hemisphere is all about the experience of the present moment. And my left hemisphere defines the boundaries of my body and where I begin and where I end. And in the absence of that experience, when I shifted into my right hemisphere, I felt that I was at one with all that is. I was as big as the universe. I was energy. I was atoms and molecules with no definition. So I had these two two ways of being in the world. When my left hemisphere was online, I could perform function and follow a plan. But when it wasn't on function, I was in the present moment and in a state of blissful euphoria with no plan whatsoever and no feeling of urgency to have a plan. So on the morning of the stroke, for four hours, I wafted in between these two ways of being in the world. And it was as I was remembering, uh, you know, what am I trying to do? I'm calling for help. I'm calling for help. i got to call this number. I I would drift out into the right hemisphere consciousness during the process of dialing that number. And by the time I would come back, to the left hemisphere consciousness, I wouldn't remember it if I'd already dialed that particular number. So it was uh, it was a very challenging morning to get help. So you covered up the number. I mean, I at least as you described it in the book. I so did. You... I had to use my paralyzed arm like a stump in order to block the number, to cover the number. And I wasn't dialing numbers at that point. In my mind, I was matching the shape of a squiggle on the business card to the shape of the squiggle on the phone pad in order to to hit the right number, and then I would have to move my paralyzed arm and, and cover that so that when I would come back from from this experience of what I call euphoria, my right hemisphere experience, that I would know that, yes, I'd already dialed that number and I had to pick up the process at the next number. Now, getting, and then finally you were able to do that and you did get help and you wound up in the hospital and... Um, one of the things that struck me too was when you were in the hospital. First of all, you what helped you in, the most? I guess in terms of your recovery. I mean, who helped you the most? You know, who was? How did you get through all of this in hospital and also when you got home and you were doing rehab? But in the hospital, because um, you're very clear about what what was helped in your recovery and what didn't. Yes. Well, my mother, my mother was, became my primary caregiver, and she moved back into my life and took over all decision-making. But what she did that was different from any traditional rehabilitation was sleep. She allowed me to sleep. She recognized that the cells in my brain were no longer capable of performing their functions because they were traumatized. And so if they thought that I needed to sleep because they were exhausted and they needed that time, whatever they were doing, that was what she thought we needed to be doing. So we let my brain cells actually be the authority on my process of recovery, which meant if I wanted to sleep, she let me sleep. And then when I would awake, then I would be alert and capable of eating and going to the restroom and then learning new information until I was tired again, and then she would let me go back to sleep. 
so and Jill, and Jill, really isn't that kind of the opposite of what they do in terms of rehab? I mean, I've worked in rehab hospitals as a social worker, and they're always saying you have to keep people up and active and on a schedule, so it kind of goes against the kind of the prevailing um, attitude towards helping stroke patients recover. That's right. When you look at the number of patients who do not recover or do not fully recover, then you have to re-question what is the wisdom in the behavior. Another thing is you talk about uh, the time it takes to recover, and I think you mentioned that doctors will say, well, if you haven't recovered this mental function or this physical function within six months, you're never going to get it back. Not true. Oh, not true, especially when we look at what science has taught us in the last ten years. We already know that the brain is capable of, of the cells themselves are making new connections every day. They're withdrawing connections, creating new connections. This is the neuroplasticity of the brain. The ability of the cells to create new connections so that they can create new function. And then on top of that, we also have learned from science that some new brain cells actually do grow. And this is totally new thinking. This was, when I was brought up, this was, you know, what you're born with is what you die with, and, and, and that's it. You never grow any new cells. And we know that that's just not true now. There are some, two, some new strategically positioned neurons in po- certain positions. And that can make a huge difference in your life if, if the portion of your brain that is capable of creating short-term memories that then turn into long-term memories is where you've got new cell growth happening because it means that the cell is actually capable of, in a way, reviving its own ability to learn. So it took you eight years to recover, and and not six months, but eight years, and you finally did recover, uh, made a complete recovery. But another thing, while in the hospital, you talked about the way medical students responded to you, the way doctors responded to you, even family and friends, And, and I think this is really important, that you kept repeating in the book, I'm wounded, I'm not stupid. I'm wounded, I'm not stupid. What did that mean? Well, as soon as we look at someone who has had a brain trauma of some type and they don't have language, then they can't communicate with us. And then it becomes a mystery because when you stop and you think about how do we really communicate as humanity, so much emphasis is placed on the ability to create words and to commu- to share those words. But there's a whole volume of information that the right hemisphere processes in subtle forms of body language, vocal intonation, inflection of the voice, all of this information that the right hemisphere can perceive, but the left hemisphere cannot speak. And so it was very important to me because I could tell if you were treating me with respect or disregard. And it was very important that if you are on the outside of me trying to help me recover, then you have to come and you have to find me. And you need to do that in a very respectful and honoring way as opposed to assuming that I'm stupid or needing to raise your voice to me. Raising your voice doesn't help if I don't understand your words. So when you do raise your voice, it makes me see you as, as a, a scary force that, is, that I can't trust. So it's very important how we treat these individuals who cannot communicate with us with language. And you talk about the importance of touch, and I think it was one of the medical students, a female medical student who came in and and instead of yelling at you like one of the previous medical students actually came and got close to you and was comforting and touched you and, 
and, and that 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 had to do with healing, and and which is very different than as you just described, someone coming and yelling at you. Um, we have only have a couple minutes left, um, so I just wanted one of the things if you could just address was you know, one of the things that you say that helped you to learn was to uh, your the ability the, to focus not on your disability but on your abilities, not focusing on the disability but focusing focusing on what you can do, what not what you couldn't do. I needed people to see where I was at and then figure out what is the next logical movement or the next logical step for my mind to take in order to get to the next goal. If someone had come in and said to me, Jill, I want you to sit up. Well, I couldn't sit up. But if they said to me, Jill, I want you to start rocking, rocking in the bed, just just roll, rock your body in the bed. Okay, I can do that. Okay, then do that with enthusiasm and become a master of rocking. Then the next natural thing to happen is for me to start rolling up. So now I'm rocking and I'm rolling up and I'm falling back, but I'm rocking and rolling up. And I try this and I try this and I try this. And then eventually when I roll up, I can hold my balance up there and eventually I can sit. All right, so, so that, that is really the ability, as you say, and we have to down. say goodbye. I could, we could go on and on yeah. to break every task down into smaller and simpler actions and then build up. So great having you on the show today. And uh, Jill Bolt. Taylor, Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor, author of My Stroke of Insight, which you get New York Times bestseller online. You can buy it everywhere. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. Thanks, Catherine. I appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com with my co-host, Lauren Deller-Blake. She and I are going to say goodbye to you today. Hope you had a great day, and we will see you next week. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.